Hello, and welcome to the USF Emergency Medicine Podcast. The first topic we're going to cover is seizures in the pediatric population. First, let's talk about the management of status epilepticus. As always, in emergency medicine, the most important things when evaluating a patient with status epilepticus are to evaluate your ABCs. Check to make sure the patient is maintaining their airway, put them on a monitor, and have the nurses establish IV access. Don't forget to check a bedside glucose as hypoglycemia can be an easy fix to your problem. Status epilepticus is defined as a seizure greater than five minutes duration. First line therapy is a benzodiazepine. Your choice of benzodiazepine may be determined by the type of access that you have. If you do not have IV access, then diazepam or midazolam may be your best options as these can be given IM or per rectum. The dosage for these three benzodiazepines is pretty much similar in the IV form, about 0.1 milligrams per kilogram, and doubled that for the IM form of 0.2 milligrams per kilogram. Be sure to have a second dose of benzodiazepines ready in case this first dose doesn't work after several minutes. If seizures continue past five minutes after the first dose, try redosing the benzodiazepine. If this doesn't work, the next line therapy is going to be phenytoin or phosphenytoin. Phosphenytoin is preferred as it has a lower side effect profile and can also be given IM. The dosing for this is 20 milligrams per kilogram. If the seizure continues past 15 to 30 minutes, the next option is going to be phenobarbital at a dose of 20 milligrams per kilogram IV. Past 30 minutes, consider a continuous drip of pentobarbital, midazolam, or propofol and consider intubation for airway protection. Of course, get your PICU and neurology consults on board quickly. Now let's talk about the different presentations of pediatric seizures. We're going to divide this up into febrile versus non-febrile. First, we'll talk about febrile seizures. It is also important to distinguish simple versus complex febrile seizures. The difference being that in complex febrile seizures, usually you have multiple seizures within 24 hours, whereas with simple, you'll have a single seizure in 24 hours. Complex febrile seizures also tend to be more prolonged and have a longer post-ictal period with residual focal neurologic deficits. If the history and physical exam suggests that the patient has had a simple febrile seizure, you would work the patient up as if they presented with no seizure and just a fever by itself. A complex febrile seizure may require more of a workup, depending on history, vital signs, and physical exam. A lumbar puncture should be considered in all infants aged 6 to 12 months who have not received vaccinations for strep pneumonia or H influenza, or if the immunization status cannot be determined. Additionally, it should be considered in all children ages 6 months to 5 years who have been pre-treated with antibiotic therapy. Of course, neonates with a febrile seizure should undergo a full sepsis workup, including full set of labs, blood cultures, CBC, and CSF analysis, as well as considering the possibility of treating with antibiotics or potential sepsis. Next, we'll talk about afebrile seizures. It is important to be able to distinguish true seizures from seizure mimics. The most important kind that we see in the ER is psychogenic non-epileptic seizures. One way to distinguish these from true seizures is an episode with asynchronous motor movements, a lack of tongue biting or incontinence, and the patient having forced eye closure. 
Another seizure mimic is breath-holding spells, which usually occur between the ages of 6 to 18 months and are preceded by some kind of traumatic event or emotional upset, leading to breath-holding and periodic shaking. The workup for an afebrile seizure will depend on the history and physical exam. It is important to determine the seizure duration, the type, whether focal or general, whether there was associated loss of consciousness, the presence of any post-ictal period, any residual focal neurologic deficits, and if they had previous seizures, whether or not the current seizure is different from prior. In patients under six months old, consider overdilution of formula leading to hyponatremia. This can be treated with three milligrams per kilogram of hypertonic saline infusion. Other conditions that cause seizures that should be considered include met metabolic disorders, inborn errors in metabolism, infection slash sepsis, meningitis slash encephalitis, neurocutaneous syndromes, head trauma, tumors, or intracranial bleeds causing increase in intracranial pressure, the presence of a VP shunt, and other toxins such as pesticides, alcohol, and isoniazid. Routine head CT is not recommended in all patients presenting with a first-time afebrile seizure. Emergent imaging should be considered in a patient who demonstrates persistent focal deficits on their neuro exam, has signs of increased intracranial pressure, is younger than the age of six months, has a VP shunt, presents in status epilepticus, is immunocompromised, has traveled to an area endemic for sister sarcosis, has a suspected cerebrovascular disease or bleeding disorder or hypocoagulable state such as sickle cell, or in whom head trauma is suspected. Now let's talk about disposition of these patients. For your non-febrile seizure patients, most patients under six months of age will require a pretty extensive workup and are usually admitted for observation. Between six months and two years of age, the dispo will depend on the laboratory workup and reassessment of neurologic follow-up and assuring they have close outpatient follow-up. Patients over two years of age who have returned to baseline with the normal neurologic exam and workup are usually safe to discharge with close outpatient follow-up. Next, we'll talk about head trauma in the pediatric population. Evaluation and treatment is similar to that in adults, but we'll review it here. Epidural hematomas after trauma are less common in kids. However, they classically present as a brief loss of consciousness followed by a lucid interval and then rapid deterioration of mental status. The CT scan will show a lens-shaped bleed in contrast to your subdural hematoma, which will show a crescent-shaped lesion on CT scan. This type of bleed is more common in the pediatric patient, usually as a result of non-accidental trauma. Once you've established that a patient has an intracranial bleed, there are a few steps that should be taken to prevent secondary injury. First, as always, evaluate a GCS score to determine the need for airway intervention. When choosing your RSI medications, keep in mind that recent literature has not shown any difference or harm when comparing different RSI medications such as Sucks vs. Rock or Tominate vs. Ketamine. None have been shown to cause an increase in ICP. You'll want to avoid hypotension in these patients, so if they already have pre-existing hypotension, avoid meds such as Atominate or Versed. Next, it's important to focus on their circulation. You'll want to maximize cerebral perfusion pressure by maintaining a sufficient mean arterial pressure to perfuse the brain. 
If the patient has experienced trauma, they may have hypovolemic shock. Be sure to resuscitate them accordingly. Additionally, you want to look for signs of impending herniation, including pupil asymmetry, pupillary dilation, non-reactive pupils, unilateral weakness, or extensor posture. If impending herniation is suspected, you should start mannitol or hypertonic saline to decrease intracranial pressure. You can also use hyperventilation as a last resort, but be sure not to drop their CO2 below 30 milligrams of mercury. Also consider seizure prophylaxis with Keppra and get your neurosurgical consultation on board quickly. Next, we'll talk about congenital heart disease and congestive heart failure in the pediatric patient. These conditions can be confusing and hard to remember, so try to take a systematic approach to evaluating patients in which you suspect may have a heart condition. One approach is to consider the color of the infant. If they're blue, consider your cyanotic heart lesions, which include all those conditions starting with a T, such as transposition of the great vessels, tetralogy of flow, tricuspid atresia, and total anomalous pulmonary venous return. If the patient appears gray, consider conditions that cause a left to right shunt or a left ventricular outvo tract obstruction. These present in the first few weeks of life with symptoms of shock due to inadequate cardiac output after closure of the ductus arteriosa. Conditions that cause a left to right shunt include VSDs, ASDs, PDAs, and endocardial cushion defects. Conditions that cause a left ventricular outflow tract obstruction include aortic stenosis, coarctation of the aorta, and hypoplastic left heart syndrome. Lastly, if the patient appears pink, consider CHF. Now we'll over these three categories a little more closely, starting with your cyanotic congenital heart diseases. It is first important to determine whether a patient presents with central versus peripheral cyanosis. Central cyanosis will include bluish discoloration of the inside of the mouth, including the tongue, mucous membranes, and lips. Next, you can determine whether the central cyanosis is due to a primary cardiac or primary pulmonary condition. This could be done using the hyperoxia test. This is where 100% FiO2 oxygen is applied to the patient. Observe the oxygen saturation. If oxygen saturation improves with oxygen application after 5-10 minutes, then it can be assumed that the condition is a primary pulmonary disease. The four cyanotic heart lesions all start with the letter T, including tautology of flow, transposition of the great arteries, tricuspid atresia, and total nominous pulmonary venous return. I won't belabor the specific features of both, but I will mention some specific findings for testing purposes. The classic chest x-ray finding in Tetralogy of Fallot is cardiomegaly with decreased pulmonary vascular markings, creating a boot-shaped heart. Transposition of the great vessels on chest x-ray presents a mediastinal narrowing with cardiomegaly or a, quote, egg-on-string appearance. Most of these conditions typically present with findings of right ventricular hypertrophy or right access deviation on EKG finding. The treatment for this, these conditions is to open up the PDA using a prostaglandin infusion at a rate of 0.05 to 0.1 micrograms per kilogram per minute. Be careful of apnea and hypotension with prostaglandin e infusions. The acyanotic cardiac conditions such as your left to right shunts and your left ventricular outflow obstruction tracts are typically the conditions that lead to CHF in pediatric patients, which we will talk about next. The left to right shunt in these patients causes an increase in pulmonary blood flow, 
which progresses to pulmonary interstitial edema and volume overload of the left side of the heart. Many of these children will have diaphoresis with feeds or failure to thrive. Physical examination will often include a loud systolic murmur from an ASD or VSD. In the case of coarctation of the aorta, physical exam may reveal weak pulses in the feet, as well as an oxygen saturation differential between the upper and lower extremities. Chest x-ray typically shows cardiac enlargement and increased pulmonary vascular markings with edema. Also consider cardiomyopathy and myocarditis as causes of congenital. As always, revert back to your ABCs. With regards to airway, patients may require mechanical ventilation with positive pressure ventilation, as well as diuresis to drain fluid off of their lungs. Some of these patients may also require anic support with dopamine or other presser support. And again, if you suspect a cyanotic lesion as the culprit, be sure to give prostaglin E as soon as possible. Disposition for these patients includes transfer to a tertiary care center with pediatric cardiology. So there's your quick review of neurologic and cardiac conditions in the pediatric patient. Hopes this helps to sort things out and keep things